0: Between lightning and thunder three seconds the gap A warm candle glow
1: keeps this wood room from black My cat she sleeps on an old clippy mat purring out echoes a faint pitter
0: pat Hello And welcome to the Perennial Porridge Podcast, Episode 4. I'm your presenter, Roger Meacham. In these Perennial Porridge Podcasts, you'll be listening to work both from those native to Scotland and those who, like myself, have come to live here. Wherever you are in the world, you may hear something that speaks to you, not only because Scotland has made connections with every corner of the planet, but because the contributors are from every corner of the planet. In this podcast, we meet Leslie Benzi. She has just published her second collection of poetry, and she'll talk about this and a little of her background before reading in Bush, a poem inspired by the disastrous Australian bushfires in 2019. This poem carries strong messages, not only about climate change, but also inequality. Given the metaphorical fires being lit across the globe right now in response to injustice, this poem couldn't be more relevant. Leslie hails from Aberdeen, but worked for many years in Glasgow. She was manager of the Royston Stress Centre for just over two decades, and though she has now returned to Aberdeenshire, still works part-time as an NHS counsellor. Her new collection of poetry has just been released. I first asked her to tell me a little about this. Well, it's
1: called Fesson, which is a Doric word for reared. Um, and it uh, basically the title came from the poem that's in the book. I think it's the first poem in the book. It's called Fesson in the vernacular, which means reared in the vernacular. Um, and I suppose this collection has got a mix of Doric, based poems and also some poems in English and I think that really reflects that although I was born brought up and lived the early part of my life up until I was actually I think 29 or 30 um, I lived in Aberdeen and then I moved to Glasgow where I lived for 25 years um, and I didn't start writing until I moved to Glasgow and the thing that sort of was the impetus was I missed speaking my native northeast Doric because I had to modify everything I said when I moved to Glasgow because nobody understood me and then the fact that I lived there for 25 years means that obviously my my language now although my heritage is Doric my language is much more anglified in order to be understood and so that's reflected in the book so I've got some poems in English and some in Doric
0: what you experienced, Leslie, will resonate with many of us who've moved to new locations to live and work. I remember arriving in Scotland, fresh from a teacher's training college down in England. My first school was West Hales, an outlying suburb of Edinburgh, and I had to pay attention to understand the informal English spoken there. Of course, the 10 and 11 year olds I was teaching had fun, as they watched their new teacher struggle. I'm certain they lead it on thick. I remember one youngster asking me, Mr. Meacham, do you ken if I can chum me pal to the janny he's skilped his heed? Uh, I'm just standing there looking vacant while the youngster's holding up his injured friend.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I understand it, but Hills has got that East Coast sort of thing, so most of the words I would understand, uh, but I guess an English person
0: would struggle. I've been here in Scotland for hmm, four decades now, Leslie, and I've heard Doric from time to time in storytelling sessions. It's now possible to write in Doric. You are obviously one example, something I think you wouldn't have been allowed to do when you were at school. So, has the language changed since you spoke it as a child?
1: Well, well, I suppose um, some of the words will be just exactly as they've always been, but I think Probably country people have kept to the true Doric more than, say, Aberdonians would have. So, um, you know, there's words that, say, my granny used who came from the country that probably a lot of people wouldn't necessarily use now. I mean, we'll still use things like fit, far, fuyidian, far you gan, and all that sort of stuff. But I'm thinking of words like maybe uh, wheel it, might not be so used now in Aberdonian. we wheelhap it means you're well wrapped up, you're (laughs) cosied up, you know. So it wouldn't maybe be used so much um, by younger Aberdonians. So Mm. so I, I would say I use, you know, lots of Doric words, but there's probably some that have fallen out of use a little bit.
0: They'll just have to come back into general use. I'd love to be a fly on the wall in the modern Aberdeenshire classroom and watch the reaction of a, of a Glasgow or Edinburgh-trained teacher hearing a Doric-speaking child asking if they can accompany their injured pal to the janitor's office to get a plaster. Now, the poem we're going to hear shortly is, overtly, about an Australian disaster and you've chosen to write it in Doric. Can you tell me about your reasons for that choice, Leslie?
1: Some people ask, why why do you choose to write some in English and some in Doric? And sometimes that's just a real feel thing. Um, so, you know, like burning bush, I, I decided to do in Doric, that's the poem I'm going to do, because I refer to the cultural fires of the Aborigines in it. And one of the things that a colonial power tends to do first off, is to start to remove and deny the people, their, their language, their own cultural heritage. And it's part of assimilating or trying to assimilate those people into the, to the colonial territory, if you like. Um, so it just felt really sort of instinctive to me to write it in my native okay. um, It. it, it, it as a kind of, I suppose, a response to what's happened to the natives in Australia, in a way. Um, but other times, it's just a real instinct. I, I don't know. It's like, it's an emotional thing. Your your voice and your development of your speech is very kind of it's intrinsic to who you are, you know. And 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 sometimes I feel my emotional connection to something really means that the Doric language speaks more closely of that emotion in a way.
0: Maggie Gibson, the first person in 500 years to hold the position of Macca for the city of Stirling, she says of you, Aberdeen poet Leslie Benzie writes with pared-down honesty and humanity about people living on the edge of society. You've spent a good part of your life working with people in this position, is a recurring theme in your work, injustice?
1: Well, yeah, you're right. I think social justice is something that I've always been interested in, whether it's through my poetry, through um, campaigns that I've been involved with, through the work that I did um, uh, when I helped create Royston Stress Centre. You know, it's that sort of um, knowledge that... Social justice is political, social injustice is politically created. It's not, you know, an inherent way that society must be. Um, and so that's reflected, because it's been an interest personally anyway, it's reflected in my poems. And I think we should be writing about the stuff that matters. Um, and if writing is about anything, it's about communication, communicating ideas. Um, and talking about the emotional responses to injustice that I see around me.
0: Your poetry needs to be read, and understood, by the likes of Trump. Our own leaders would benefit too. I suspect that the Trump handbook is on a desk somewhere in Downing Street. I mentioned at the end of the last podcast that if anyone knew of a way to get your poetry broadcast in either the Oval Office or Number 10, they should get in touch with me. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Just one more question, Leslie, and then your poem. Maggie Gibson's article from 2019 was entitled Scotland's Missing Women Poets and Why We Need Them. Well, you're one of a growing number of women poets, but are you optimistic? When people hear the word poet, will this increasingly bring to mind an image of a woman writing rather than that of Sandy Moffat's packed pub where all the poets are men?
1: I think nowadays the female image of a poet is conjured up. Um, There are are now much more well-known women poets. Um, If you think about in Scotland, you've got Liz Lockhead, Caroline Duffy, um, Jackie Kay, um, and, you know, they, they would be names that more people would know about. So, in that sense i there's optimism um there's still not as many as as uh, male poets and um, you know people beyond Scotland might not be so familiar with them um but I, I think I quoted to you um I, I was reading an article that in the the last mm, since two thousand and eight the the average number of um Equal pay claims or unequal pay claims for women is twenty nine thousand a year, and they are considered to be the tip of the iceberg. So, um, so on the one hand, I feel hopeful in in certain ways, but in other ways, I think there's still a long way to go before women can just assume that their place in the world is equal.
0: I have a grievance I must get in here, Leslie. Back in two thousand and thirteen. The National Portrait Gallery of Scotland had an exhibition called The Pioneers of Science. I took myself off to see it and found to my surprise there was only one female portrait in the entire exhibition. Now, there were some great names amongst those portraits, but all men. They deserved their place, but all men. No females apart from one, and that one was Dolly the Sheep. I wrote to the newspaper, The Scotsman, and the gallery replied. They said, If Mr Meacham goes up to the second floor of our gallery, he will find a painting of mathematician Mary Somerville by Thomas Phillips. Mary Somerville was indeed a great scientist, uh, but she died in 1872. I think our National Portrait Gallery has got a little way to go. So, Leslie, finally... Your poem, Burning Bush. You're going to read this and tell us a little about it? Thank you.
1: So this poem, um, hopefully, is self-explanatory as to what it's about. Um, and uh, I'll read it for you now. Burning Bush. In its twa largest cities, the inhabitants choke as if they are have a thirty-a-day habit. And the reed-hot glow ignite in the sky can still be seen through the plumes of smoke, the millions of acres of burning bush. But there's nae a voice for God instructing him to lead his people to safety. Instead, for his sunbed in Hawaii, he evokes the sacred Aussie spirit that has enabled them to endure through calamity and bushfires such as these afore. While he tries to pour water on a the evidence, that there has never been bushfires such as these, and denies the blueprint for land management died in the bones of the country's first people. Babrocht fire for fi the centre of the earth, for our humans were cast in black, reed, yala, and fight in harmony with nature. And despite smapox and cruelty like they had never seen, have preserved their cultural fires. In sand lines and wackaboots that began 60,000 years ago in the dream time. As if half asleep, he repeats, Now is not the time to talk about climate change, for the kingmakers Cool whisper in his dreams about the billions or reasons that he needs to put his country's economy and jobs first. An ally himself, we are the M- them fat alleged that it's a conspiracy theory concocted by the loony urban elites that we are, ah, in the same arc, of oh, this universe, as each national leader competes for their country to be first, to consume, ah, the earth's finite resources, to fuel the lifestyle to which the god of free trade says they are entitled, while a source, of oh, year-run, renewable energy beats doon on their heeds, empty, o oh, conscience. For this time it's only a few tens o' Falkfa have died and tens o' hundreds o' Hames that have burned. Their atmosphere stinging with the singed flesh and fur of reed kangaroos, emus and koalas which are among the billion animals fried in the scorched trees that money does not grow on.
0: Thanks, Leslie. The events you refer to in the poem happened last year but the issue is dealt with are with us still. Now I hear again and again of the SOS from planet Earth. We live in a time of climate emergency, but we also live in a time of denial, don't you think? Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, obviously um, that poem reflects on some of the denial that's going around, uh, certainly amongst some politicians who who say things like, you know, um, these scientists, Environmentalists have got an agenda. Yeah, yeah, we do have an agenda. We're trying to protect the planet that we live on and potentially, you know, if if the planet doesn't survive, we don't survive. So um I think it's really bizarre when Trump comes away with stuff like that. Um, that you know, we've got an agenda. Why should we not have? Um, so that poem was written, obviously, about the Australian bushfires, but I had I had lived in Australia for five months, ten years ago, and they had some of the worst uh, bushfires just prior to me uh, being there. Um, and it was, I drove through miles and miles and miles of burnt forest, and honestly, it was just, it was so horrible i can't really express how upset i felt because it, it, you just couldn't see anything but blackened branches and trees and the scorched landscape it was really saddening so when this when i saw them raging again and they're much worse now because of um climate change i just felt i had to i felt kind of compelled to write something about it um and the fact that this is man made and um, obviously fires if fires have been it happened in Australia lots of times for a long time because it 's a very hot climate, but the fires that are raging now are to do with uh, global warming yeah i mean uh, that that 's just reflecting on i mean California had massive wildfires while uh, you know Brazil had massive wildfires. I think it was just that they, these were, I, I suppose for me, it was kind of like I had that connection to that experience before. You, if That could be talking about anywhere in the world. It, I mean, um, and Scott Morrison's response to them was like, probably not as bad as Trump's or as Bolsonaro's in Brazil, but I just felt I needed to say something because I had that connection to be in there before, you know.
0: Leslie, thank you for sharing the poem and your thoughts. When you shared this with the Lemon Tree Writers Group, we found it powerful. And I feel privileged to have had this opportunity of listening to you telling it again. I hope that you'll be back with another of your poems. Visit the Lemon Tree Writers website at lemontreewriters.co.uk where you'll find more information about Leslie Benz's poetry. If you're living or working in Scotland, or if you have an interest in the kind of writing you're hearing on these podcasts, consider joining the group. Apart from the podcasts, we meet online every fortnight to discuss new work. Our theme opening is from Rain, by songwriter Martin Stevenson, sung here by Helen McCookery Book. Our next podcast is in a fortnight, the 2nd of July, 2020, when Rick Gammock will be reading a short story called Cheddar Gorging, or When Cheese Goes Bad. I just hope it keeps until then. Goodbye, and thanks for listening.
1: My subconscious and I are back on speaking terms He's sending me colours and beautiful
0: And far, far away are the harsh city folk. I'm surrounded by country,
1: surrounded.